So we are continuing this morning in our series in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of God. And we come to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Hear now the eternal living word of God. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever seen a a caterpillar? They tend to be pretty unappealing creatures. They're the sort of thing that if one of them were to get into our house, my children, especially my five daughters, would be screaming, demanding that I kill it immediately. But one of the amazing wonders of God's creation is the amazing transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. The beauty of a butterfly is hidden during the caterpillar phase. The the American architect Buckminster Fuller put it well when he once said, there is nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. During the whole caterpillar stage, the beauty that is to come during the butterfly stage is concealed. And so throughout our study of Mark's gospel, We've seen the earthly ministry of Jesus. He's been preaching. The fulfillment of the kingdom of God has come. And his popularity has exploded. But his opposition from the scribes and the Pharisees has grown as well. And now, as we learned last week, he has begun to teach in parables. And he he does this so he can continue to preach and teach the truth of the kingdom to his disciples and those who have ears to hear 
while concealing this truth from those who oppose him. And so this morning, we'll study several of the parables of Jesus about the kingdom of God. And we'll learn from these parables three truths about the kingdom of God. The revelation of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, and the contrast of the kingdom. That is the revelation of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, and the contrast of the kingdom. Now Mark is following his account of the parable of the sower and his purpose of the parables immediately with with these parables that are often called kingdom parables. The first one, starting in verse 21, he says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus begins here with a a rhetorical question about a lamp. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Clearly the answer to this is no. You don't bring a lamp into a house to hide it under a basket or under a bed. It, It defeats the whole purpose of bringing the lamp in. Hiding a lamp under something means you would hide its light, which is its whole purpose. So you bring a lamp into a house to put it on a stand and to light up the house. So then Jesus goes on to explain. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The light here is the kingdom of God. And at the time, it's currently concealed. And Jesus is comparing it to its future fulfillment. And this is the first truth about the kingdom of God in these parables. The revelation of the kingdom. When Jesus walked the earth, the kingdom of God was hidden from the human eye. At that time, Jesus was a veiled king. He was a king in a hidden state among his disciples. There was nothing glorious about him. He had no earthly power. He had no army. He had no throne. He had no riches. His kingdom was nothing to write home about from the human eye. He's popular among the crowds, and he is performing many miracles. But his people are still oppressed by the Romans, and he doesn't seem like he's going to do anything about that. The identity of Jesus, which in the time of Jesus was hidden from some, will be fully revealed. The kingdom of God, which at this time was hidden from some, will be fully revealed to all. Just like the beauty of a butterfly is hidden during the caterpillar phase, the kingdom of God is not fully revealed during the time of Jesus. Or in our time, the time after the death of Jesus that we live in, after his resurrection and his ascension, before his return to the earth. This time that theologians refer to as the already, not yet. It's a time that has an already aspect. There's a present reality to the kingdom of God. Jesus has already lived a perfectly sinless life as a human on earth. He's already died for the sins of his people. He's already risen from the dead. So in a sense, 
Satan and death, evil and sin have been defeated already. But Jesus has already begun and inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. But he hasn't fully completed it. He hasn't fully consummated the kingdom yet. The full realization of the kingdom of God in the new heavens and the new earth where God will visibly reign supreme and all will worship God in sinless, holy perfection for eternity has not yet come about. And so during this time of the already not yet, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, before his return, the kingdom of God is still somewhat hidden. There are those of us who we've been born again by the Spirit. This truth has been illuminated to us. We've been united to Christ by faith. We see Jesus as the king that he is. We see the reign of God over our lives for what it is. But there are many who do not. Most people in this world still only see the human rulers. They see the famous, the rich people of the world. They have no idea about the true identity of Jesus Christ. They have no clue about the kingdom of God. But one day upon the return of Jesus Christ, all will be revealed. There will be no more secrets. Everyone will know the true identity of Jesus Christ, the king of all. Everyone will know about the kingdom of God and his reign over all of creation. One day, Jesus will give light to the whole world. He will no longer be hidden. The magnitude of the glory of God's kingdom that is currently hidden will fully be revealed. And Jesus ends this with, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus says this frequently. He's saying, those who understand the truth of what I'm saying, strive to understand the meaning." And so then, he follows this with another parable, starting in verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Those who hear what Jesus has to say and do it, those who have ears to hear, will continue to understand and grow as disciples. Those who are in the kingdom, those who are insiders, those who have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, they will do the will of God in their lives. They will desire to understand more and more what Jesus has to say, and they will grow in his image, in Christ-likeness. They'll continue to heed his words and they will desire to know more about what he has to say. Disciples of Jesus yearn for his teachings. They want to know more about what he has to say. They want to grow more and more into his image. Those who already have an understanding of who Jesus is, those who already understand about the kingdom of God will have ears to hear. They will care to understand what he says and they will be given a better understanding. They will be given more. But those who don't understand who Jesus is, those who don't care about the kingdom of God, they won't care to grow in their knowledge, in their understanding. And they'll eventually forget about all of this. They'll ignore Christ. If you ignore the truth about Jesus Christ now, you ignore all future truth as it is revealed to you. And upon his return, he will deny you in the final judgment. But those who are in the kingdom now will receive the fullness of its glory 
in eternity. Being a disciple now means you have a relationship with Jesus Christ now. It means you're dedicated to following him, learning from him, growing in conformity to his image. But there is more to come. The fullness of glory awaits all who are united to Jesus Christ by faith. And Jesus then gives another parable, beginning in verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Here we see another parable using the imagery of a farm, often called agricultural metaphors. And again, Jesus is speaking about a seed and a harvest. But this message is a bit different than the parable of the sower that we looked at last week. In the parable of the sower, the emphasis is on the response, the the person who's responding to the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus there taught that the heart of the responder and why there are so many different responses to him and his message of the kingdom. But here in this parable... Jesus is teaching us about another side to the establishment of the kingdom. He's teaching us about whose power the kingdom is built upon. He begins the parable by saying, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Again, the seed here would represent the word of God or or the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is reiterating our duty to sow the seed, to bring people to the word of God, to bring the word of God to the people. But now his focus is not on the responder, but on the sower. The sower sows the seed, then in 27, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And so the seed produces a plant. It sprouts and it grows, but that doesn't have anything to do with the sower. The farmer, the one sowing the seed, but he isn't growing the plant. And this this plant starts small and then it grows into a full grain. It says the farmer is just sleeping. He doesn't even know how this plant is growing. It's growing on its own. And so this plant is growing not because of the farmer. He simply sowed the seed on the ground. Something beyond his power is growing this seed into a plant. And that brings us to a second truth about the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom. We are the farmer in this parable. We are the ones to sow the seed. Our job is to sow the word generously, continuously. But it's not within our power to change someone's heart. That is the work of God. Salvation is completely the work of God. The gospel, the word of God, the truth of the kingdom of God is the power of God for salvation. It's the way God has ordained to save people. 
but also it's the way God has ordained to grow his people. We are to sow the seed, allowing the word to do its work, relying on God to bring people into his kingdom through his word. There's much we need to do as Christians, as a church, for the kingdom of God. But it's crucial to remember that we're not working in our own power, but the power of God working in us and through us and through his gospel. The farmer in this parable has work to do. He has to sow the seed and then reap the harvest when it comes in. But it's beyond him to grow the plant. And we as Christians, as as the church of Jesus Christ, are to sow the seed of the word, proclaiming the gospel in our church and in our community. But God will do the growing. As the parable of the sower teaches us, there will be many different responses to the word of God, to the gospel. But it's the work of God to prepare the soil, to prepare the hearts of the men and women who hear. We're simply to scatter the seed. God will grow the plant. We don't know who will hear and respond with repentance and belief. We are to preach and teach the word. We are to reap the harvest when it comes in. God will change someone's heart and bring them into the kingdom. He will bring someone to repentance and belief in the gospel. And they enter the kingdom. And it's our duty then to care for them. To build them up in the body of Christ and to disciple them through his word, through a community of believers. It's our duty to also disciple children of believers. They are a part of our church. Here we baptize them into the visible church and we are called to disciple them as well. And this is through preaching, teaching the word, living out the gospel in the local church, living as God teaches us to live in his word, admonishing, encouraging, training, and loving each other to live as God has called his people to live. But God is sovereign over this process as well. We're not going to make this happen in our own power. It's not some clever new evangelism trick that's going to win people to Christ. It's God who does it through the ministry of his word, through the preaching of the gospel, through people just like us going out and telling people the gospel. Now God does seem to bless those who who humbly approach this task. Those who are willing to let go of themselves and give themselves over to his work in whichever way he wills. God God frequently blesses the work and the ministry of those who let go of their idols and embrace this calling to bring the gospel to the nations. But it's ultimately the power of God that brings converts, that matures those who believe into the image of Christ. And so we have much work to do for the Lord, but we are to remember that the kingdom of God comes only through his power. And we are to humbly submit to him and his word. We're to live in obedience to God and his word, to live in service of him and of others as he's called us to, and to preach and live out the gospel in our church and in our community, and to rest and let God change the hearts of those who he does. And now the final parable of Jesus in this section, again, is another agricultural metaphor, and again involves a seed. Starting in verse 30, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So with each of these parables, Jesus is bringing us a new aspect of the kingdom. In the first parable, he teaches us that the kingdom is hidden at first, but only hidden to be revealed later. That though you can't currently see the glory of the kingdom in all its fullness, there will come a time when it will be fully revealed. The whole purpose of God is to reveal his kingdom, to reveal his reign over all of creation. In the second parable, he taught us that the coming of the kingdom is not something humanity brings about. The kingdom of God is brought about through the power of God himself. No amount of human cleverness or intelligence or talent will bring about the kingdom of God. It's God who brings it about. Now God does work through means. He mostly works through human beings, through natural means, to bring about his supernatural kingdom. But although God uses humans, he nonetheless is the one who does it. Now in this third parable, he's teaching us another truth about the kingdom. He begins by comparing the kingdom of God to a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now the mustard seed is a tiny seed. Jesus calls it the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now there is actually a seed that is a tiny bit smaller, and there are some skeptics who point to this and say, gotcha, we found an error. Jesus said something wrong. But the mustard seed is actually one of the smallest seeds on the planet, and it actually was used as a Hebrew interim. It was proverbially the smallest. It was something, when they were referring to something being the smallest in the superlative, they would use the mustard seed as an example. Jesus is simply using hyperbole here. His point isn't whether or not you can find any seed on earth that is smaller than the mustard seed. Rather, that the kingdom of God starts as something small. Something unbelievably small. The mustard seed is about one millimeter in diameter. I probably couldn't even see it without my glasses on. It fits right on the very tip of your finger. But Jesus contrasts what the seed is with what it becomes. Starting in verse 32, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shape. The plant that grows from from one of the tiniest seeds on earth becomes a towering, outstretched tree. It's bigger than most of all the other plants. And Jesus' point is to contrast what the kingdom is versus what it will become. The kingdom arises out of obscurity, out of insignificance, into something larger and more encompassing than we can even imagine. And this is the third truth about the kingdom of God we learn from these parables. The contrast of the kingdom. There's a stark, unbelievable even contrast between the kingdom of God now and what is to come. The kingdom of God is almost unnoticeable to some. Not only in the time of Jesus, but now. If you compare it to the vast kingdoms of man. The attention of humanity is currently on ourselves and on all the powers of earth. The visible kingdoms 
we can see is what most people are thinking about, looking at, talking about. The kingdom of God is hidden now, so it, it can easily be ignored. And Jesus pointed this out in the first parable, that it will be revealed. And now he's teaching us that when it is revealed, it will be of enormous magnitude. Now for the birds of the air finding their shade, the Old Testament prophets sometimes used this image of, of birds of the air and branches to refer to the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's chosen people. And so Jesus is telling us there that the surprising growth of this kingdom will include God's grace to the Gentiles, God's grace to people all over the world. And so one of the things we can take away from this is how God uses the smallest of things. God uses things that are seemingly insignificant for the greatness of his glorious kingdom. God uses seemingly tiny things to bring about his astounding glorious kingdom. A small act of kindness, a small act of love, a small comment or a gesture. Even a small church. A small church that sows the seed of the word of God, that engages its community with the gospel, spreading for everyone to see generously, unleashes the power of God through the word. And God can use it for his glorious kingdom in ways that are beyond our wildest imagination. These parables of the kingdom should be an encouragement for us. Because although all of us are sinful, weak, insufficient to accomplish the work of God on our own, we are not left on our own. And God uses the sinful, the weak, the insignificant to bring about his glorious kingdom. He doesn't use the rich and the powerful and the famous and the world leaders. He uses everyday people that he has called into his kingdom. Jesus himself came in hidden circumstances. Jesus himself was seemingly insignificant. Not only did he humble himself as the king of glory by becoming human, but even as a human, he was born a nobody to nothing Poor parents raised in a town that most people had never even heard of. And he humbled himself to the point of death. He lived a sinless life that he didn't deserve death. But he died the death of a criminal. Although he is all powerful. He allowed sinful men to sentence him to death in a sham trial. And execute him. But from what seemed to be the execution of an insignificant man, God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him. So although we may be insignificant, our small neighborhood church may seem insignificant. Our God is anything but insignificant. The greatness of God is beyond all measure. And he is right now bringing about his plan for eternity. He is right now using us, using this church to bring about his kingdom. And he does so through the means that he is ordained. He uses ordinary, insignificant, sinful, weak people that he has called out of the world into his kingdom by grace through faith. And he uses us to bring his word to the world. God brings about his glorious kingdom through obedience to his word, through preaching and teaching the gospel, 
through loving him with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so you can remember that God's kingdom will come in all its glory by the power of God working through us, working through his people, his church, and that we can know with full assurance that God will bring about all that he has planned and all that he has promised upon the return of his son. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning, Lord, humbling ourselves, knowing that it is only by your power, by your grace, that you have called us into your kingdom. It is your love through your dying son that has reconciled us to you. And so we humble ourselves and we seek to obey your word. We seek to learn more and more about your son and draw more and more near to you, conforming to his image. Empower us, Lord, to be your vehicles of salvation, to bring your word to the people of our church and our community, that we will see the fruit of your salvation, that will be your tools in this world as you have ordained. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.